The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Mythology Explained YouTube channel. Please note that there are two narrators for this podcast, myself, Silas, and Zach. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Mythology Explained. In today's video, we are going to dive into the story of the lost city of Atlantis. More than 11,000 years ago, the nations of the Mediterranean were attacked by a dominant naval power hailing from outside the Pillars of Heracles. These invading Atlanteans sought to enslave all peoples within the Pillars, only to be thwarted at the final hour by the Hellenes, the virtuous ancestors of the ancient Greeks, who traced their lineage back to Athena herself. Though the Mediterranean was freed from subjugation, the conflict was not punctuated by a resounding victory, but by the opening of the Earth's cavernous and gnashing jaws, this unleashing sundering quakes and swallowing floods. In the resulting cataclysm, all the fighting men of the Hellenes sank into the earth, and, in a single day and night of misfortune, the island of Atlantis in like manner disappeared into the depths of the sea. Alright, let's get into it. The story of Atlantis is preserved in the form of two dialogues by Plato, the Timaeus and the Critias, written circa 360 BC. The dialogues contain nested narratives passed down orally for over 200 years, and we'll read from the core narrative today. It follows Solon, a lawmaker and poet of ancient Athens, who traveled to Egypt around 600 BC, and there learned of his own people's history from an aged Egyptian priest. Solon's account of these teachings, which are the earliest references to Atlantis in the literary record, are summarized in the Timaeus and detailed in the Critias though the latter dialogue survives only in part. In the Timaeus, the story of Atlantis is introduced, albeit briefly. Both dialogues feature Socrates in conversation with three interlocutors, Timaeus, Critias, and Hermocrates. Interlocutor, if you didn't know, is a formal word that denotes a participant in a conversation or dialogue. Timaeus, a Pythagorean philosopher, is the primary speaker in the first dialogue, though he does not speak on Atlantis instead presenting a complex and allegorical account of the creation of the universe, the earth, human beings, and the cosmos. Critias, an Athenian politician and older relative of Plato, summarizes the story of Atlantis in the first dialogue and elaborates upon it in the second dialogue. The third dialogue, to be the Hermocrates, is either lost to time or is never written at all. The days before these dialogues take place, Socrates had discussed the set of laws that would bring forth the ideal state, which is covered in Plato's Republic. Today, he asks for an example of those laws in action. Hermocrates mentions a story he heard from Critias that he believes will satisfy Socrates' request. Critias then gives his abbreviated account of the story, passed down to him from Solon, the famous Athenian lawmaker, poet, and one of the seven sages of ancient Greece. The story tells how the lost city of Atlantis invaded the Mediterranean some 12,000 years ago, only to be repelled by the Proto-Athenians, who lived according to laws similar to those laid down by Socrates in Republic. In the Critias, the titular character delves into much more detail in Atlantis, including its inhabitants, geography, and customs. He describes Atlantis as an ancient civilization with remarkable technology, social structure, and military power which was located beyond the Pillars of Heracles. They were descended from Poseidon, but over generations their noble blood became diluted with mortal admixture, leading to excessive pride and ambition. 
For the crime of their invasion, Atlantis incurred the wrath of the gods and was sunk into the sea in a single day and night of misfortune. Unfortunately, the full text of the Critias has not survived, cutting off just as Zeus is about to speak. Given that the entirety of Hermocrates is absent as well, we don't know how the full trilogy would have looked. Timaeus provides the cosmological backdrop, and Critias presents the historical account of the rise and fall of Atlantis, but we can only speculate about the content of the third dialogue. The only time poor Hermocrates gets to speak is when he suggests that Critias tell the Atlantis story. What's important to understand right now is the chain of custody the story of Atlantis purportedly went through. In both the Timaeus and the Critias dialogues, the story of Atlantis is claimed to originate from ancient Egyptian priests, who had it from their own ancestors in written form. The priests were the keepers of ancient wisdom and histories in Egypt, preserving knowledge from times even before their own civilization. Solon traveled to Egypt sometime around 600 BC. The Egyptian priests shared the story of Atlantis with him. Solon was fascinated by the tale and intended to translate it into a poem for the Athenian audience, but he didn't complete his work. Upon his return to Athens, Solon relayed the story to his friend, Dropides, who passed it on to his son, Critias the Elder, who then passed the story to his grandson, the Critias featured in Plato's dialogues. Moving forward, the story of the lost city of Atlantis will be told from the perspective of the characters present when it was, according to Plato's dialogues, first imparted from the ancient Egyptians to the ancient Greeks. Characters like Solon of Athens will feature prominently, and interlocutors like Timaeus and Critias will fade into the background. We join Solon of Athens in Egypt, in the city of Sias, at the temple of Neith, where he speaks with Sonchus of Sias, an aged priest. Sias was an ancient Egyptian city located in the Nile River Delta, and it was said to have been founded by Neith, an Egyptian goddess whom the Greeks identified with Athena, the goddess said to have founded Athens. Sias and Athens being founded by cognate goddesses made them, in a fashion, sister cities. Thus Solon was welcomed with open arms and granted supervised access to the sacred registers of history preserved in the Temple of Neith. Wishing to hear more from the priests of antiquity, Solon begins by sharing his most ancient Hellenic knowledge, thinking this will prompt reciprocation. He starts with Pharonius, who, according to Plato's dialogues, was called the first man by the Hellenes. He then tells of Deucalion, the son of Prometheus, who survived the great deluge alongside his wife Pyrrha, the daughter of Epimetheus, and of their descendants who repopulated the earth. As Solon tries to compute from these genealogies how long ago the Deucalion deluge must have happened, Sonchus stops him. We now read directly from the Timaeus for Sonchus's reply. O Solon, you Hellenes are never anything but children, and there is not an old man among you. In mind, you are all young. When Solon asks Sonchus why he would say this, Sonchus replies that, There is no old opinion handed down among you by ancient tradition, nor any science which is hoary with age. And I will tell you why. There have been, and will be again, many destructions of mankind arising out of many causes. The greatest have been brought about by the agencies of fire and water, and other lesser ones by innumerable other causes. There is a story, which even you have preserved, that once upon a time Phaethon, the son of Helios, having yoked the steeds of his father's chariot, because he was not able to drive them in the path of his father, burnt up all that was upon the earth, and was himself destroyed by a thunderbolt. Now this has the form of a myth, 
but really signifies a declination of the bodies moving in the heavens around the earth, and a great conflagration of things upon the earth, which recurs after long intervals. At such times, those who live upon the mountains and in dry and lofty places are more liable to destruction than those who dwell by rivers or on the seashore. And from this calamity, the Nile, who is our never-failing Savior, delivers and preserves us. So what you believe as myth, Songkhis told Solon, is actually a record of specific astronomical events. Furthermore, the resulting cataclysm that you think scorched the whole world only affected certain regions that were susceptible, and that Egypt was not one of them, spared not by divine intervention, but by favorable geography. Songkhis continues, When, on the other hand, the gods purged the earth with a deluge of water, the survivors in your country are herdsmen and shepherds who dwell on the mountains, but those who, like you, live in cities, are carried by the rivers into the sea. Whereas in this land, neither then nor at any other time does the water come down from above on the fields, having always a tendency to come up from below, for which reason the traditions preserved here are the most ancient. Here, Sankas claims first that the low-lying placement of Sias in the Nile River Delta has protected it from cataclysms by fire from above, and second, that sufficient distance from mountains or plateaus has protected it from destruction by floodwaters or meltwaters as well. He continues, The fact is that wherever the extremity of winter frost or of summer sun does not prevent, mankind exists, sometimes in greater, sometimes in lesser numbers. Whatever happened either in your country or in ours, any actions noble or great, or in any other way remarkable, they have all been written down by us of old, and are preserved in our temples. Whereas just when you and other nations are beginning to be provided with letters and the other requisites of civilized life, after the usual interval, the stream from heaven, like a pestilence, comes pouring down, and leaves only those of you who are destitute of letters and education. And so you have to begin all over again like children. You know nothing of what happened in ancient times, either among us or among yourselves. So not only has everyone but the Egyptians lost their histories, Sankas claims, they have also lost all record of their material cultures and technologies, all the way down to the ability to write. Driving his point home, Sankas continues, As for these genealogies of yours, which you just now recounted to us, Solon, they are no better than the tales of children. In the first place, you remember a single deluge only, but there were many previous ones. In the next place, you do not know that there formerly dwelt in your land the fairest and noblest race of men which ever lived, and that you and your whole city are descended from a small seed or remnant of them which survived. And this was unknown to you, because, for many generations, the survivors of that destruction died, leaving no written word. For there was a time, Solon, before the great deluge of all, when the city which now is Athens was first in war and in every way the best governed of all cities and is said to have performed the noblest deeds, and to have had the fairest constitution of any of which tradition tells, under the face of heaven. Here Sankas cites a very ancient people, the heroes of this video. He asserts them as the forebears of the Greeks, and claims that they were greater and fairer even than his own Egyptian forebears. We will hereafter call them Proto-Athenians, to differentiate them from the Athenians of Solon's time. Solon is struck by this revelation, and he asks Sankis to inform him exactly and in order about these former citizens. Sankis replies, once again honoring Neith Athena. 
You are welcome to hear about them, Solon, for your own sake and for that of your city, and above all, for the sake of the goddess who is the common patron and parent and educator of both our cities. She founded your city a thousand years before ours, receiving from the earth and Hephaestus the seed of your race, and afterwards she founded ours, of which the constitution is recorded in our sacred registers to be 8,000 years old. As touching your citizens of 9,000 years ago, I will briefly inform you of their laws and of their most famous action. The exact particulars of the whole we will hereafter go through at our leisure in the sacred registers themselves. Sankis goes on to describe the social hierarchy of the Proto-Athenians and how closely their laws match those of his own ancestors, the pre-dynastic Egyptians. According to sources, Solon was indeed taught at length from the sacred registers of Sias, and he planned to write it all down in beautiful verse, but maddeningly, he was diverted by matters of state and lawmaking, and died before he could complete this plan. Critias, the interlocutor whose lines we have been quoting, claims that if Solon had made poetry the business of his life, and had completed the tale which he had brought with him from Egypt, he would have been as famous as Homer or Hesiod, or any poet. Sankis will now expound on the location of Proto-Athens, as he did for Sias, going on to recount the most valorous achievement of the Proto-Athenians, which was their defeat of the invading army of Atlantis that sought to subjugate the whole of the Mediterranean. All this order and arrangement the goddess Athena first imparted to you when establishing your city, and she chose the spot of earth in which you were born because she saw that the happy temperament of the seasons in that land would produce the wisest of men. Wherefore the goddess, who is a lover of both war and of wisdom, selected, and first of all settled, that spot which was the most likely to produce the men likest herself. And there you dwelt, having such laws as these, and still better ones, and excelled all mankind in all virtue, as was becoming of the children and disciples of the gods. Many great and wonderful deeds are recorded of your state in our histories, but one of them exceeds all the rest in greatness and valor. For these histories tell of a mighty power which, unprovoked, made an expedition against the whole of Europe and Asia, and to which your city put an end. This power came out of the Atlantic Ocean, for in those days the Atlantic was navigable, and there was an island situated in front of the straits, which are by you called the Pillars of Heracles. Now in this island of Atlantis there was a great and wonderful empire, which had rule over the whole island, and several others, and other parts of the continent. This vast power, gathered into one, endeavored to subdue at a blow our country and yours, and the whole of the region within the straits. And then, Solon, your country shone forth, in the excellence of her virtue and strength, among all mankind. She was preeminent in courage and military skill, and was the leader of the Hellenes. And when the rest fell off from her, being compelled to stand alone, after having undergone the extremity of danger, she defeated and triumphed over the invaders, and preserved from slavery those who are not yet subjugated, and generously liberated all the rest who dwell within the pillars. But afterwards there occurred violent earthquakes and floods, and in a single day and night of misfortune, all your warlike men, in a body, sank into the earth, and the island of Atlantis in like manner, disappeared into the depths of the sea. And there we have the most famous words on Atlantis, attributed to Plato, of its defeat by the Proto-Athenians, and of its destruction in a single day and night of misfortune. 
If you enjoy the content, please like and subscribe. Thanks for watching.